From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Today, we have the opportunity to hear from a visiting professor about the progress being made in the research of eye disease. With me in the HealthLink on Air studio is Dr. Abigail Hackham, a professor of ophthalmology at the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. She's in Syracuse to give a lecture at Upstate, and she made time to do this podcast. So welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Hackham. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Now, your lab focuses on research of new cures for diseases and injuries to the retina. And before I ask you to tell us more, can you describe where the retina is, what it does? Sure. So the retina is at the back of the eye, and it's essential for vision. So if you think about it as a camera, the retina will be the film that uh, receives the light and allows us to see. Of course, it works with the brain in order to give us the images that we perceive. So is it part of the eye or is it part of the nervous system? Both, actually. Oh, both. Okay. Yes, it's, uh, the retina is an offshoot of the brain. So a lot of the things that can go wrong in the brain can also go wrong in the retina. So some people, including ourselves, study the retina to actually understand how the brain works. So what are the problems or the diseases that affect this part of the eye that your lab is involved in researching? So there's a family of diseases called retinal degenerations, and these are diseases that affect the nerve cells called photoreceptors, and they lead to loss of vision and oftentimes um, complete blindness. So they're quite serious diseases and quite common, in fact. So with things like macular degeneration, macular, is that one of them? Yes, okay. macular degeneration is one of them, and that affects around the third of the population over the age of 65. Wow. Now, are these um, inherited diseases, or are they diseases that develop with age? Right. Also both. So some of these diseases, um, an example would be um, a congenital night blindness or retinitis pigmentosa, those are inherited, and those would be evident in children. Some of the other diseases, such as macular degeneration, is age-associated. Now, if the retina is damaged by one of these diseases, is it able to regenerate or so, grow back? Right. So only if you're a fish or a newt to a salamander. In humans and mammals in general, unfortunately, it cannot grow back on its own. And so what we're trying to do is stimulate um, the body's ability to regrow or to protect a retina. So it doesn't naturally, it can't naturally it on its own. cannot naturally, unfortunately. Um, you mentioned three different animals, newt, or what, how did we discover that they had the ability to regenerate? Has that right. been known for a while? It's been known for a while, um, maybe a serendipity, you know, people were studying those animals for a long time, it was an observation that they made, and now, of course, understanding how other animals uh, regenerate, perhaps we can learn from that and apply it to our own research. In these animal models, when the retina regenerates, is it as good as the original retina? Um, in many cases, it is, yes. So there's hope that the, maybe we would hope. be able to... Yes. Okay, yeah. interesting. Well, what approaches is your lab investigating? So one of the primary approaches is to um, use a type of growth factor that we know is important in the development of the eye in the embryo, and we're trying to repurpose that in the adult. And so we're trying to see, you know, since it works to 
tell the retina to become a retina in the first place, maybe it can do it after injury. So that's a major focus of ours. Interesting. Have you found that, I mean, you it, must have some promise yes, if you're going yes, down that pathway. Yeah, but. for sure. So it does seem to help. So we can, um, at least in an animal model, we can regrow an optic nerve, which is very exciting. Um, now our, our biggest focus is can we enhance that regrowth so that it can make connections with the brain? Because that's ultimately what we need, right? So if it's only the retina regrowing, it's not as helpful if it can't communicate with the brain. So optic nerve, is that how the retina connects connects to the brain? brain. Yes. Okay, so that's a very important nerve. Yes, definitely. Okay. Um, What other approaches have you looked into? So we have a really interesting um, research project where we're looking at different dietary interventions. And and diet is as nice as a, a an aid or a supplement to pharmaceuticals, you know, because people can easily change their diet, well, hopefully easily, more easily than taking a pill. And so we've actually found that um, a diet that was supplemented with these uh, free, f- freeze-dried grape powder was able to protect the retina completely in an animal model of photoreceptor degeneration. So this was a, a model of one of these inherited diseases. So freeze-dried grape Grape powder, powder? grape, the fruit? The fruit. So it's a mixture of red and black and white grapes, stems and seeds, freeze-dried, biochemically defined. And we supplemented the animal's diet with that, and they had complete retinal protection. So it's very exciting. So I eat a lot of grapes, based (laughs) on my research. So what made you think grapes would have any sort of powerful... Yeah, so there's a lot of literature about grapes and cardiovascular health. So we know the story about red wine. Resveratrol, right? Yes, resveratrol, exactly. And so resveratrol is only one component of grapes. There's a lot of different components. They're called uh, phytochemicals, which are basically um, compounds within plants. And they have beneficial properties. They've been shown to be anti-inflammatory or antioxidants, all these type of things. And so when they're all together in the grape powder, we're seeing a benefit. Whereas individual chemicals in isolation doesn't seem to work as well. Wow. Well, that is interesting. So once you've shown this in an animal, uh, then you've also got to take the next step to work on it in humans, right? In humans, exactly. Yeah. So we're trying to um, determine what would be the optimal dose and, and all those type of considerations. In the animals, it was equivalent to two and a half servings of grapes, which and the serving was three quarters of a cup. So, you know, it's not an unreasonable amount of grapes, but that was in the animal. So translating that to humans, we'd have to really work that out. But, but I think grapes are easy to eat and nutritious. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Abigail Hackham from the University of Miami. She's a scientist who focuses on genetics and ophthalmology, and she's visiting Syracuse to give a lecture at Upstate on retinal regeneration. So your lab is also looking at inflammation, is that correct? Yes, yes. So what does that have to do with regeneration or repair of the retina? Yeah, so inflammation is getting a lot of attention in the scientific community these days. And we know a whole host of diseases have links to inflammation, ranging from Alzheimer's disease to even autism to retinal degenerations. And it turns out that inflammation can have some 
beneficial effects as well as um, negative effects to the eye. So what we're trying to do is enhance the beneficial effects and suppress the more toxic negative effects. So it might have the effect of helping a retina stay healthy? Yes, yes. Oh. So that's our goal. And in fact, what we found is that we can add a, a very um, low-dose anti-inflammatory drug, and it can boost these beneficial inflammatory cells. Interesting. So you mentioned the grapes, too, but I, I'm just wondering, how would regeneration help people who've already lost their vision or would it would you would we ever do you ever foresee that we would get to a point where a person who's lost their vision through detachment or a disease would have some remedy for that right right so ideally um, we would be able to help a patient early in the degenerative process and and that's why you know getting eye exams on the regular basis and doing these type of screenings which are so important to see any early stages, especially if you have a pre-existing condition like diabetes, for example. In terms of a later stage disease process, um, the field is now moving into replacement. And so this would be replacement of um, new cells that can actually be inserted back into the eye. It's all experimental um, at this stage, or even an artificial retina, which is uh, an electrode array. And some of these are in use, um, you know, not highly effective yet, but a huge push to make Definitely these work being better. looked at. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I know you also explore genetics, so I'd like to ask you about the role you think gene therapy may play in preventing or, or curing diseases or injuries. Yeah. So, I mean, the forefront of a lot of this research is genetics. And so in my lab, we do some gene therapy in the animals, um, but more recent data in um, the clinical setting, people have been using small non-pathogenic viruses to deliver genes to replace the genes that are mutated or absent in patients. And the first results are coming out. They're recently reported from a group in um, Pennsylvania in collaboration with other other institutions, and there's a beneficial effect on some of these patients, which is very exciting. So you first have to find out if uh, if they've got a vision deficiency, if, yes. if there's a genetic exactly. reason for it. Exactly. And now that we know the whole human genome has been completely sequenced, um, so it's not hugely complicated to identify the genetic defect these days. It used to be more challenging. Now it's cheaper and faster to find that out. Now, what about, I've heard of something called CRISPR. Uh, yeah. What is that? So CRISPR is a very exciting technology where you can actually, they, they refer to it as molecular scissors. So um, without getting into the technical details, they can actually replace the mutation with the normal DNA sequence. And so instead of having a drug, they actually change the mutation back to normal in the first place. So now that's been tested experimentally. So there's been um, a clinical trial where they have removed cells from the body. An example was with sickle cell disease, where they removed the cells, did CRISPR to remove the mutation, and delivered the cells back to the patient. So they basically fixed the defect fixed and then the defect. put it back. Yes. But huh. this past week, they announced that there was finally a study that was approved to begin to do CRISPR within the human body. So not removing the cells, actually putting the CRISPR um, mechanism into the eye to fix the mutation in the patient's eye. 
So they're doing this as part of a collaboration with several different companies, looking at 18 patients for wow. safety and efficacy. So if there is um, therapeutic benefit, this will revolutionize the way that we approach genes and diseases and therapy. It's a very exciting time. So if this were to work, you would identify patients that are having problems with yes. their vision, and then this would they would be brought in and this would... Yes. help fix that yes or exactly exactly so how long do you think uh some of the work that you're doing in the lab how long would it take before it is ready for patient use so that's a good question it's a question that i hear a lot <laughs> i get that a lot and i ask myself the same question so something like the grapes so that's an immediate benefit you know we haven't done a clinical study for that but it's something that it's a dietary intervention and so. grapes are not going to hurt you not unless you're diabetic or allergic, right? So in general, for the average person, grapes will not hurt you. For a more molecular therapeutic, um, it takes longer. So the average length of time that's usually stated is 15 years. And if you think about it, it's basically the amount of time is because of safety concerns. So we need to test it in multiple animal models and then do what's called a phase one clinical trial and a phase two clinical trial, phase three. And those phases are for looking at small patient populations and testing safety and then efficacy. So, so to make people. sure that it works, number one, but then yeah. that it's not doing other sorts of damage exactly. or something. Exactly. One of the advantages for working in the eye is that the system is set up very nicely for clinical trials. So oftentimes we treat one eye and leave the other eye untreated. And so we can see if, there's, if the treatment actually is causing further damage or having a protective effect or no effect. So we just compare to the fellow eye. Um, another case is that the delivery of drugs to the eye is much easier than really for most anything else. Eye drops, as an example. Oh. It's really easy, um, non-invasive way to deliver drugs. So it's a little bit faster to bring drugs to treatment um, in the eye, but it still takes a long time. And, you know, if you have a disease like this, you know, you want things to happen faster, of course. But of course. We're working as hard as we can. And in the meantime, grapes, eating grapes may help keep your retina healthy. Right, yes. Well, good yes. to know. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Abigail Hackham, a professor of ophthalmology at the University of Miami's Bascom Palmer Eye Institute. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.